Welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome back Ed Smith, Head of Asset Allocation Research at Rathbones, as we discuss some of the challenges and prospects for the UK economy. By way of reminder, Ed started his career at BlackRock, joining Rathbones in 2014 from Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, where he was Global Strategist and co-lead manager of their risk-enhanced multi-asset portfolio service. So a very warm welcome back to you, Ed. Happy New Year. And uh, thank you for sparing us some of your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you. Now, we last spoke in the summer of 2020, um, at a time when Brexit negotiations obviously were still ongoing. The UK had just come out of the three-month national lockdown and the world was looking a rather different place. In terms of the UK economy, perhaps, if we could just start with Brexit. Um, it's been described as a, a fairly thin deal, but there is nonetheless something on the table. Uh, what are your thoughts on the implications for the UK economy as a result of the Brexit deal we now have? I agree that it's a thin deal. It really just avoids the imposition of tariffs. And that's, of course, good news. Um, you know, a swathe of economic forecasters estimated that no deal um, would have seen about 0.5 to 2 percentage points less GDP growth over the next couple of years relative to a deal. But, you know, you've got to remember that this is the possibly the only trade deal in history where trade will be worse off after the deal than it was before. And that's because um, you know, non-tariff barriers to trade are still going up. All of that uh, laborious form filling at customs, you know, that sort of thing. And 80 to 90% of the economic costs of leaving the EU were always likely to be attributable to those non-tariff barriers, which, you know, of course, this deal doesn't really cover. There was some good news, some um, protocols laid out for how some firms could become authorised economic operators, which means that they have a little less paperwork, but still some paperwork nonetheless. And of course, the fog of uncertainty still remains over, um, over the UK's really outsized trade in services. Um, you know, we have a large trade surplus in services that pays for our large trade deficit in goods. And despite what Mr. Johnson tried to claim in the press conference on Christmas Eve, um, negotiations uh, on cross-border financial services, they're still scheduled to continue into 2021. We still don't know the outcome there. And there are other important areas on the transfer of data between the UK and the EU, which of course affects the tech sector, or the portability of accounting accreditations and other professional services. So Brexit disruption is going to remain a feature of the economy in 2021. And I think it, yeah, it just adds to a pretty long list of reasons, unfortunately, why the UK is likely to remain a laggard in the COVID uh, recovery. And of course, the other thing is I'm often looking at individual companies as they report their results on a, uh, usually on a quarterly basis. So very much over the next three, six, nine months, I'm expecting to see, rather like last year's theme being we're not paying a dividend, I expect to see much more this year where applicable, of disruption to the supply chain. And presumably that's something which uh, could be a, a, a further inhibiting factor. 
Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I think there, there are a number of reasons why some of the domestically focused names in the FTSE uh, are going to continue to lag. Their earnings may potentially disappoint and supply chain disruption has it's, it's got to be one of them. And I think, you know, that less secure dividend um, yeah, is one of the reasons why that valuation gap that we've seen open up between UK market in general and overseas markets isn't likely to, to, to close entirely anytime soon. Turning now to the situation where we are, obviously we're fairly idiosyncratic in as much as we've got Brexit, but where we're in the same boat as everyone else, of course, is the ongoing effects of the pandemic, notwithstanding the fact that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine. But in terms of the latest lockdown, as I mentioned at the top, we were speaking uh, in the summer about the fact that uh, the UK could at last think about recovering some of its economic footing, having come out of that three-month national lockdown. Obviously, we're now back to square one in in that uh, event. I I seem to remember at the time, your base case was that uh, the UK might return to form at some point in 2022. Has that been um, impacted at all by this latest lockdown? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it it has. I think we're looking at now not a return to the pre-COVID high watermark for GDP until 2023 now. We've been using a a bottom-up 45-sector simple model of the UK economy this year because all of those super complex top-down models are pretty defunct. And, And so, you know, Playing about with that, you know, led us to um, believe that the November lockdown caused the economy to contract by about 11%. And initially, we thought it would spring back by about 9% in December. But of course, all those tier three, tier four restrictions meant that growth was probably only, you know, perhaps five, 6%. And that means at the end of 2020, UK economy was probably still about 12 to 13 percent below the pre-COVID high watermark, uh, which means the UK has had one of the worst economic outcomes in 2020 relative to to most other uh, major countries. So with another two months of national lockdown, which is kind of our base case, January and February, we're looking at another sharp contraction, perhaps sharper still than November, because education services are, are shutting. And actually the UK accounts for education services a bit differently to some of our European neighbours who smooth it a bit more. So, yeah, so I think it's unlikely we get back above the pre-COVID high watermark in 2022, more like 2023. If we think of a return to form in another sense, to catch up to where the economy might have been if COVID had never happened, we may actually never get there. You know, this may now be a permanent loss of output as just too many businesses uh, go under. But yeah, as asset allocators, perhaps it doesn't really alter the outlook for UK assets relative to the rest of the world all that much because plenty of other countries are undergoing other lockdowns. And also, as I said, yeah, we were already working on the assumption that the UK was going to have one of the worst economic outcomes of the uh, 40 or so economies that we keep tabs on. Do you think there's any room for a a sliver of optimism in as much as for certain companies at least uh, having been through this once before they've they've had time to be rather better prepared this time around oh yeah definitely and yeah i think we saw that in in no in november you know one of the reasons why the economy only probably contracted by 11 percent when it was you know more like double that 
in in March, April was because companies are a lot more prepared. You know, they know how to operate in a COVID safe way, particularly in the manufacturing and construction sectors. They seem to be doing okay. So there's definitely a bit of optimism uh, there. But, you know, we're a service, consumer services oriented economy and they're shuttered so you know that's 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 why we're, we're hurt a little worse than some other countries who are more manufacturing oriented perhaps yeah that's right and uh, again referring to our previous conversation you had mentioned that you had concerns about the unemployment rate for example where many furloughed workers would eventually lose their jobs quite apart from the drag on business investment um, as a result of um, the economic uncertain outlook presumably now that's uh, very much back in play yeah yeah we still have those concerns uh for sure yeah and with the you know with consumer services consumer you know outlays you know heavily restricted you kind of need all other parts of the economy to to be humming and that of course includes business investment spending which accounts for about 10 percent of uk's gdp but brexit you know, seems to still be playing a role in inhibiting firms investment intentions if we look at the investment intention surveys they improved quite a lot from the middle of last year in most countries but not in the uk and they remain stuck at the lowest level they have been or near the lowest level they've been since the survey began in 1997 so that's another reason for a bit of gloom what what we'd like to see, actually, you know, it's been pretty gloomy, haven't we, to, today, Richard, but a bit more optimism yeah. is um, public investment could fill some of that gap. And it was really great to see in the November spending review that ambitious plans for public investment were still in there, you know, greatly increasing from about 40 billion, I think, in 2019 to an average of about 70 billion in three or four years time so that's a huge increase you know looking at you know targeting digital and transport infrastructure regional leveling up outside of the southeast and you know it's potential potentially you know that a publicly backed wave of digitalization a green energy revolution could raise productivity enough to offset you know some of the uh, drag from from brexit and covid disruption at least over the medium to long term yeah, that's certainly uh, something to hold on to as a hope. Now, obviously, the government has incurred an extraordinary amount of debt um, as a result of the pandemic. And of course, that's, um, that's going to get higher now. Inevitably, already been whispers of tax hikes to repay some of this government largesse. One of the important points you made last time was the fact that uh, it's been well proven uh, in recent years that austerity could actually be counterproductive. How do you think we're currently positioned, uh, given the latest uh, lockdown and indeed some of the, the Brexit implications? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, so yeah, just to repeat what we said last time, yeah, if the government retrenches at a time when the private sector is still hunkering down, um, yeah, that is likely to be counterproductive, certainly for the economy, but also for government finances. Um, you know, the last 10 years and indeed evidence from before that, you know, tells us that pretty clearly. Tax hikes um, don't necessarily mean austerity. And especially if the money raised from tax hikes is uh, then invested productively in, in some of the ways we, we, we discussed a moment ago. I wouldn't rule out tax hikes. Now, of course, the Conservatives, they're a low tax party. 
it's going to be probably too controversial among their base to change income or corporation tax too much. So we're going to be looking at some of the lower profile taxes. We've already seen changes to pensions and entrepreneurs relief too. And I think, you know, perhaps unfortunately for your clients and our clients, capital gains tax is next in the firing line. Yeah, and like entrepreneurs relief, there is little evidence that it stimulates investment, unfortunately. Influential think tanks, influential bipartisan think tanks like the Institute for Fiscal Studies or the Resolution Foundation, they're pretty strongly critical of lower rates of capital gains tax. So I think that's something that we've got to be mindful of. Yeah, it's not going to be good news in the short term for our clients or, or yours if that does happen. Uh, but in the very long term, if it leads to a more efficient economy, long term investment should benefit, of course. And finally, Ed, obviously, we've been hearing from the government that a number of things need to fall into place for the millions of vaccines they're looking to uh, put, put in the arms of UK citizens and so over the next couple of months. What are some of the things do you think that could fall into place which could actually give a boost to the UK economy in the shorter term, let's say, during during 2021? A successful and accelerated vaccine plan has got to be um, right at the top of that. I think another one of the things that could fall into place is a quick resolution to some of the outstanding mini deals on services to be negotiated with the EU. The deal on financial services is supposed to be sorted by March. Now, usually deadlines with as far as the UK and Europe are concerned, don't mean very much, as we all know too well. But yeah, if they do meet that one, that would be really good news. Uh, and uh, yeah, assuming it's a positive outcome for UK financial services. So I think that's another big one. Uh, more firms than perhaps anticipated being given that authorised economic operator status, which cuts down on some of that red tape at customs, could be another one. And a bit more public investment when it comes to additional fiscal stimulus packages. So investment has been notably absent from the UK's stimulus packages, unlike the EU's recovery fund, for example, where it features quite prominently. Yeah, I would like to see if we do have more fiscal stimulus, for it to be a little more focused, a little less about bailing out, painful as it is, a little less about bailing out businesses that perhaps weren't doing too well before COVID, and perhaps more about building back better, you know, to, to use a, uh, that sort of cliched term. Uh, good to end on a positive note. Unfortunately, uh, we've run out of time. So my sincere thanks again to Ed Smith, Head of Asset Allocation Research for Rathbones, for joining us on a run round on the UK economy. And thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.